Amen. Well, grab your Bible and turn to Nehemiah. Now, you may be going, Nehemiah, I never heard of Nehemiah. It is in the Old Testament. If you need to use your table of contents, that is okay. Look it up. Um, now, I'm pretty excited, and I'll be totally honest. I am very excited for this series. Uh, I am bummed that we don't have more people here in the room that can see my excitement because I have to stay a bit more stationary than normal. Uh, but this is going to be a great book. And the reason why is we're going to be seeing how God can use just normal people like you and me. Maybe you're not normal, uh, but normal people like us to do great things for him. You know, God has great plans. He wants us to be part of it. What type of person does God use? Now, I want to begin with that, a, a question. When was the last time you were really just stirred? When was the last time your heart was broken that maybe even brought you to the point of weeping? For a lot of us, we, well, for some of us, it might have been this last week when we discovered school isn't lasting, or, or school is out for the rest of the semester. Maybe some of you moms sat down and wept. I know some kids did as well. For a lot of us, we remember 9-11. You know, September 11th, 2001, when those towers were hit, we remember, I remember exactly where I was when I heard about it, when I saw it, when I watched the TV screen of those towers coming down, and our hearts broke. And many of us didn't even know anybody there, but some of us, many of us wept. I remember that whole day, just people being in a daze because of what happened, not because of the towers, but because of the people, the lives lost. Uh, us as Americans being as vul that vulnerable stirred us. Maybe it was when you heard about trouble of a loved one. You know, something, a, a kid, a, a parent, somebody else that you really cared about, th them going through trouble that just brought you to your knees. I remember years ago, a pastor shared with me a time when he was driving through, all he was doing, he and his family were driving through a small town. And while driving through, somehow he discovered that that town had no gospel-centered church, and he wept for the lost in that city. And he wept for, for God's church not being there. And I'll be honest, it was convicting to me. When I heard that, I, I wondered, when was the last time my heart was broken for somebody else? Or when was my heart broken for what God would do, for what belonged to God, you know, his plan? And let me ask you, what stirs your heart? Does your heart break for anything? To the point where you, you see what, what should be, what could be, and you have to get involved, and you have to do something about it, or... Are, are we so consumed with what's going on in our own lives, we're too distracted, we don't even see these things. We don't have a vision for maybe what God wants to do because we are consumed with what's in front of us. Again, we've asked the question, what kind of person does God use to do great things? And as we study the book of Nehemiah, we're going to see really some, some pretty clear steps, some pretty clear things in the life of somebody that God uses. And we began... Last week in 2 Chronicles 16.9, if you missed last week, guess what? Great news. It's on Facebook. You can look it up. Uh, the podcast, I believe, is available. You can listen to that. Um, so check that out. But what we're looking at and what my prayer through this whole series, my prayer is that God will develop in your heart a holy discontent. Now, what I mean by a holy discontent is a vision of what could be and what should be, something that's not right. And, by, and there are a lot of things not right. They can be huge, they could be simple, but a vision for something that, that God stirs in your heart and you say, I have to be involved. I have to do something about it. That is a holy discontent. And it begins, as we said, in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, 
where it says, The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth so that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Again, we asked last week, what if that were true? What if God was scanning the earth and looking and saying, I want to find a heart that belongs to me, a heart blameless toward me, a humble heart that wants to serve me, and I'm going to put all my resources behind that person to do great things. And I think we can expand that to not just individuals, but groups and to churches. What if that was true? We say we believe that is true. God wants to support. And so this, this holy discontent, do you have one yet? Is there one in your heart? And it may need to begin in your life. Again, God works in his people before he works through his people. And again, that's not an excuse to sit and do nothing until God fixes you. But maybe it's going to begin with a relationship that you need to work on. Maybe there's a habit, a sinful habit, something in your life you know it's time to get through. Uh, maybe it's a commitment to, to God in general. Time with Him, time in His Word, whatever it begins, it will then need to move beyond that. Ephesians 2.10 really gives us our purpose. It says, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. You know, we as a church, uh, we really center around three key relationships, up with God, in with the church, and out with the world. And we need all three. And so here, as we connect with God and we grow in Him in relationship, He's going to encourage us to get involved with His church uh, by gathering when we can or gathering online, uh, by giving, by serving, and then also then outside the church to the world around us. So that's what we're here for. That's why God doesn't save us. You know, we're saved by Jesus' blood on the cross. So we're not talking about salvation here. We're saved by faith, not by works. But it's a faith that then works. And it's our passion as we follow God to be used by him for great things. And so, who does God use? Now, look at Nehemiah. Look at Nehemiah. We're going to read uh, verses, or chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And get a little context. It says this, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, uh, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. God, as we look at this, this Old Testament book and this life of a man who was sold out to you, Stir our hearts. Uh, help us to get to know you better. Uh, you are so clear in this book. And I pray that you would also stir us to get a, a holy discontent, a holy ambition to serve you. God, we love you. Amen. So here's a, a little context real quick. Um, if you watched through the end of last week, there's a, about a 10-minute video I put uh, on the historical context of Nehemiah. If you missed it, don't worry about it. Uh, it's on Facebook. You can go look it up this week. You can look it up later today or tomorrow. But it kind of sets the stage. But just to give you a, a little bit of historical context, you know, God's people in the Old Testament was the nation of Israel. God had chosen them. You can go back, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to be his people and to represent him to the world. 
And as he worked through this nation, they then had a capital city of Jerusalem. And that was really God's city. That was where his temple was and where his presence uh, was symbolically and even more than symbolically, really, in the temple among his people. And they were to be a light to the nations. Well, now God had made a promise, a covenant with his people uh, through Moses. And basically it was this. You're going to go to the promised land. And if you obey me, if you don't worship any other idols, you observe the Sabbath and other, you, you obey me, I will bless you. If you wander from me, if you go toward idols, if you forget the Sabbath, then you're going to be exiled. You're going to be conquered and taken out of, the, out of the land. But if when you're outside, when you're exiled, if there you repent and turn to me, I will restore you as a nation. That happened. The, the nation rebelled. The nation went their own way and they were exiled. Many years before this time in Nehemiah, they were exiled. Now, while in exile, some repented, turned to God. Uh, the Persians are the ones in charge right now, the Persian king um, who Nehemiah serves. And many had now returned back to Judah. They had repented. They had been given the opportunity to return. They had returned. Now, Nehemiah is sometime after the first groups returned. He did not return. Uh, he is where God needs him to be and wants him to be. They went back. They rebuilt the temple. Great. But they failed to rebuild the city. And so here, Nehemiah gets this news that the city is still in ruins. This is probably the year 445 B.C. So just to give you a little bit of context, Jesus was born, you know, between 4 and 1 B.C. We don't know exactly. Um, so 445 B.C., here is Nehemiah, and he, this is important, where is he? We, we're going to learn as we read through here that he is a cupbearer to the king of Persia. So again, Persia is the, the dominant nation. They are, they're ruling. So even these that went back to Judah, Persia is still in charge. And Nehemiah is serving the king, and he is in a place called Susa right now. So he is hundreds of miles from Jerusalem. Had Nehemiah ever even been to Jerusalem? We don't even know. Because they had been exiled for generations. It is likely he hadn't been there. Or maybe he had checked it out at some point, but, but not for a very long time. So he is now serving the king. Here's his position as cupbearer. The cupbearer, their job, and by the way, the Persian kings, the way a lot of them got into power was by killing the other king, a family member, a brother. And so the cupbearer was one who would test the wine, test the food before the king had it before the king got it, to make sure it wasn't poison. So the king is watching his cupbearer test his food. If, the, the, if Nehemiah here doesn't fall over dead, he thinks he's okay and he eats the food. Because this was such an important position, uh, this cupbearer, that was more than just a job. He was actually a close advisor. So Nehemiah, here's my point. Nehemiah was comfortable. He had the best clothes. He probably had a Mercedes and a Lexus, uh, probably more than one Rolex, he had all the best Gucci, whatever. Uh, you know, I'm not much into fashion. He had the best stuff. He had a great bed. You know, that sticks out to me. He probably had a great bed. He lived in a palace. His life was good. He was comfortable. But here, he got news that God's city and God's people were struggling. The city was in ruins. Again, this city and this people represents God to the world. So how does God look as the other nations look at the state of Jerusalem, uh, the city, and God's people? And here, he gets this word from his brother. Things are not good, and his heart is broken. Listen, if you're a note taker, we have our, our, our app. Uh, you can download the app, but here's the first note. To develop a holy discontent, 
the comfortable must be stirred. And I think this is so relevant to us in the United States. Even right now during this COVID crisis, we're pretty comfortable. And, and in order for God to do great things through us comfortable people, something needs to stir our heart. We're going to call this a dislocated heart. And why do we call it that? Again, here in the U.S., you know, why is it that so many of us believers really live lives that are ineffective? It's not primarily because of opposition. We are blessed in this country not to have great opposition preventing us from working for God. I'll tell you what it is for the most part. It's distraction, isn't it? We are, we are overly distracted and our distractions, I think, can keep us from being used greatly by God. Our distractions prevent us from even having a broken, a broken heart, a dislocated heart. We have so many things to focus on, whether it's kids' sports, which are great things, uh, but can become idols, whether it's stuff, vehicles, whether it's our jobs, whether it's our entertainment. I mean, golly, who, who doesn't have Hulu, Netflix, Voodoo? I don't know what the other ones are, uh, but we've got all these things. And so what we need is we need a dislocated heart. Nehemiah, his heart belonged to God, to Israel, to, to Jerusalem, that city, the temple. His heart was there. His body was hundreds of miles away in another nation, another place. And his heart was broken. What about us? In 1 Peter 2.11, the apostle Peter writes, Beloved, he's writing to Christians. This is after Jesus' death after his resurrection, now, this time as now, God works through his church. It's no longer the nation Israel that he's working through. He has now grafted Gentiles and Israelites who place their faith in Jesus all together. And now, this is who he's talking to. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles Honorable, a Gentile here is any non-believer, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What's Peter's point here? We don't belong to this world. We are sojourners and exiles. We belong to Jesus' kingdom, a heavenly kingdom where we will be for eternity, new heaven and new earth. We're only here for a little while. We're just kind of passing through. But we're passing through this place where there's a lot of bling. There's a lot of shiny things that can get our attention. But if we view ourselves as sojourners and exiles, aliens, this isn't our home, we start to get a right perspective. And so because we're foreigners, what do we love? Do we love Jesus and his kingdom and his purposes or do we love the world? 1 John 2.15, John writes this, Do not love the world. Or the things in the world, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We need a dislocated heart, detached from the world. Now, we've got things we need to do in this world. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying quit your job and sell your house. But we need to, our heart needs to not be attached to the things of this world, and it needs to be attached to the things of God. Now, these Jews in, in exile, it had been generations that they were in exile. And when they had the opportunity to return, when, when uh, kings, Cyrus and Darius, two kings, Persian kings, gave edicts and said, you have permission, Jews, that live here in Babylon and other places. If you want to return, you can. Many, many, many did not. 
because they had been, many of them lived their entire lives in this new city, in this foreign land, and they had developed a home there. They had families, uh, they, some of them, many of them intermarried. They had families, they had jobs, they had houses. And so they said, we, it's too good for us here, we're not going back. We can have the same problem here in this world. We look around, this is our home. This is our stuff. This is what we focus on rather than having a dislocated heart. And for some of us, we can get focused on the things that we think we need. You know, what consumes your mind, your heart? Is it what you're going to eat, where you're going to sleep, what you're going to drive, all these things? Well, Jesus speaks to us in Matthew 6, And he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Meaning, if our heart is fully his and we follow him completely, he will fully support us in the things he wants to do through us, and he will provide the things that we need. May not be everything we want, but guess what? If our heart belongs to him, we're going to be okay. Therefore, it will be everything we want. Seek first his kingdom and he'll give us what we need. The psalmist writes, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Which means when he's first, he might start to change our desires so that they're in line with him. Now, as we see here in Nehemiah, you know, when Nehemiah with his dislocated heart hears this, the first thing he does is he weeps. He mourns, he fasts, and he prays. We're going to get into that some next week. But his heart is broken. I'm convicted by his emotion. You know, people ask, what is God's will for me? Do I have a purpose? And to discover that, we need to first often detach from the world, which means we might start feeling some things about what God would do. Now, again, as we go through this series, and I talk about having a, a holy discontent for something, if you start being convicted and feeling, well, I don't have one. Uh, what is mine? Here's the way God often works. You know, God often tells you some things and asks you to do those things before he tells you the next things. The Bible is full of things that say God, about God's will, full of things we are to obey. And the way God works is we first follow, we first start to obey, and he'll reveal other things. Abraham is a great example. If you remember Abraham, this is way before the time of Nehemiah, and God called Abraham and he said, hey, I want you to leave your father's land and go to a place I will show you. He said, I want you to start obeying and then I'll show you. I mean, they started, they didn't know where they were going yet. That's the way God works. I mean, think about a ship. You know, how easy is it to move a ship that's just sitting in harbor? It's actually impossible. So we need to be moving ships, following Jesus, going toward him, obeying as much as we can, the things that we know, and let him direct us. So my point is, don't sit there and wait for him to show you something. Discover what he's already showed you. Start following and pray for this holy discontent that might be specific for your life, that he would have for you. When God has our heart and we seek him, he will give us purpose. And then he will resource us to fulfill that purpose. You know, for, for me... This, this holy discontent that he stirred in me some years ago is for the church. And he stirred this. I had been following Jesus a long time before he gave me that, that one specific thing. And my wife and I had been obeying as much as we knew God had for us and going. And then God just kind of stirred in me. We need healthy churches. Healthy churches focused on up, good relationship with him and worship. You know, in uh, unity within the church and then out 
understanding our mission to seek and save the lost. And it's difficult to wrap all that up in one church. And so I have a passion to see churches multiply, not just common ground right here, but many churches in every community serving those communities. That's, that's my ambition. And many of you actually share that ambition. That's why you're here. Many of you share that, that discontent. And I know because when we had nine months where we had a second location in a school, many of you showed up there and here in Carson because of that. As we see what God is doing with our new building. I mean, it's under construction right now. You'll get another video soon. But, but God miraculously provided. Again, that was not our vision to own a building. Again, our vision is to plant churches, to, to expand, to send people into their communities. And God stirred us and said, to do that the best, we need a place. And then God said, and I'll give you the place. You know, at first we said, we don't think we want a place. He said, you need a place. We followed him and he said, here's the place. We said, how are we going to pay for it? He said, I'll pay for it. You know, God is taking care of all these things. That's how he works. So again, what is your holy discontent? What is your ambition? What breaks your heart? Is it kids without parents? Is it a lack of foster homes? Is it lonely elderly? Is it orphans in Peru? I mean, we can, there's so many lists, single moms. We can go forever with this list. What is it for you? And if God has your heart, he will stir you and then he'll support you in whatever that is. It means we will take risks. We're gonna see that in a couple weeks, but he'll give us that. But again, you know, our, our big point today that I think we learned from Nehemiah is what is our great danger? What is our great threat as American Christians? It's distraction. Nehemiah was the same way. He was comfortable. Things were good for him. He was going to risk. He was going to go away from all that comfort. What if God stirs your heart and he asks you to go on into the mission field? What if he asks you to make great uh, financial risks, we could say, for something he wants to do? Are we willing to get uncomfortable for him? It starts with a dislocated heart, meaning we care more about the things of God than the things of this world. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. I, I love this verse. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Listen, if you're listening to this, you're saying this all sounds good, but you have not surrendered to Jesus as Lord, that's where it starts. We can't skip over the submission to Jesus to then being effective for something of value. It begins with bowing the knee to Jesus. Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I'm here to tell you God loves you. Jesus has called you. You're hearing this message. If you have not placed your faith in him, do that today. It's your first step. Tell Jesus you believe he died on the cross and rose from the dead. Tell him you agree that you have sin in your life and you want to turn away from that and go his way. Then he's going to start to change your heart. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, it says in 2 Corinthians. Then he's going to start pointing you to specific things, things he wants to change in your life, and then uh, specific things he wants to do through you in his church and in the world. Listen, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart to, you, to be used by God, he will give us a holy discontent which starts with a dislocated heart. This week, 
uh, we, have, we have three days of study for you. Uh, if you have the app, you'll find them under Outpost Questions. This used to be the area where we would apply by getting into Outpost Groups. Instead, I'm trying to give you more studies to do that you can get in. This week, the focus is on your heart. If you don't have another plan, do these. If you do have another plan, do those and these. And if your group is still gathering together and, and these studies stir questions, bring those to your group. If you have a holy discontent, tell your group about it. If your group isn't meeting, text them about it. But this week, let's look at our hearts. Let's ask God to reveal to us our hearts. Let's ask him to give us the dislocated heart and stir us for what stirs him. Lord Jesus, God, this gets me so excited because as we are so distracted, and I relate to that, man, if I was in Nehemiah's shoes, and I was comfortable, and I had all this stuff, and, and you said, no, I want you to, to maybe leave this comfortable place, get very uncomfortable, risk your life, risk all your financial security. I hope I would do what Nehemiah does. And God, I ask for, for myself, for my family, for this church, for all those watching, I ask for a dislocated heart. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. Bring us to our knees before you because we love you, because you're worth it. You know, Jesus, you gave your life for us. You bought us with a price. The Bible says we are no longer our own and we belong to you. And I love that. I love belonging to you. And now all we want to do is serve you. So God, I pray for, for wisdom, for boldness, for a passion for what your passions are. And God, during this time where we're, we're locked at home, I ask for comfort for all those watching. God, I ask for for names to come to mind of people maybe we need to call and just check in and just have a conversation. Use us for your glory. You are so worth it. In Jesus' name, amen.